just wanted to give a, a little report, a brief report. Uh, I mentioned that I would be going to, uh, down to San Diego and be with my brother and sister, and that happened this past week uh, from Wednesday till Saturday, uh, till Friday. And uh, thank you for your prayers uh, for my mom. She made it safely to Minnesota, and she's going to be uh, put into a uh, home uh, for memory care, uh, memory loss care on Tuesday. So uh, thanks uh, for thinking and, and of her and praying for her. And uh, it was it was good to be able to be with my mom and my brother and my sister down there. And uh, that's why it's just, again, uh, just our experience that we go through it's, it's important to just stop and say, boy, you know, thank you, Lord, for my family. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to give thanks, uh, whatever the situation. Get yourself trained in that way, right? So, okay, so here we go. Our last message on uh, gospel-driven perspectives on politics. And uh, this message is about the reality of who really rules, the reality of who rules. And uh, what's really behind all that goes on in politics? Is it all about power-hungry people? Sometimes we think that. It seems like that's, that's what it's about. Or it's just about, you know, our, how we hear the rich get richer, uh, the poor get poorer, something like that. Or another... Uh, time of life where we hear of more of our young men and women going off to war because that somehow is woven in to the political scene it's all a very sticky a very troubling public arena that we step into that we are drawn into and uh it's important that we are a part of it that we have dialogue in it and not that we just you know think oh get me out of here out of this public arena of politics. We need to have that interaction. We need to be wise in our involvement in it. But it is one, it's one of these public arenas that certainly does bring forth its good share of despair, of anger, of chaos, of confusion, um, it's the reason why so many heed the warning. There are two things you just don't talk about at a gathering. Never discuss religion or politics. <laughs> well, I guess that's the reason why, you know, that's, it's the way folks avoid controversy in their life. I just won't bring this up. And some of you, you know, you're on Facebook. Not many of you, I don't think, but some of you are on, you're on Facebook and some of those friends that put in political stuff, it's like, oh, come on, what are you doing that for again? Kind of thing. But it's, here's this issue. Here we are in this political arena. And how are we functioning in it? Are we thinking that God's not in control? That God's not on his throne? And that's really what today is about. Psalm chapter 2. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 2 today because it holds back nothing in regards to this issue. It holds back nothing. Here's what's really going on. 
not only in a past tense, in a historical manner, but also in a future tense. Here's what's going to happen, is the little message behind Psalm 2. It's a messianic psalm. So it not only deals with, here's the past, but it's also going to say, here's, here's what's coming. All right? King David lays it out, stating that the rebellion of the nations is against God. Yet all the while, God is sovereign over all. Now, that's an easy statement for me to make. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say words like sovereign. He's sovereign. And that's what we need to keep reminding ourselves of is the truth of God. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of confusion, God is sovereign. Child of God, do you believe that? If that's the case that you believe that, then you have to keep reminding yourself of it because your tendency is to think that everything's gone loose. Everything's gone haywire. Well, yeah, it has maybe. (laughs) But when things go loose, when things go haywire, God is sovereign. I don't understand. I can't explain it all, but God is sovereign. That's what the Word of God tells us. He's a God who is in control. As we tend to say it repeatedly, and rightly so, God is still on His throne. This is the counsel that we need repeated to us when the news is so depressing and when, politically speaking, things go south or in a way that we don't like, whatever. We need to keep reminding ourselves of that. So, a look at Psalm 2 this morning is like the news report from heaven that you can rely on. It's not a news report that's got a slant to it. So we take courage. Don't fear. God's still on His throne. Psalm 1, if we were to compare the two opening psalms, Psalm 1 is really about the contrast of the righteous man against the wicked man. But Psalm 2 opens it up widely and says, here's the contrast between the rebellious kings and rulers, nations, and the rule of the righteous Messiah. And that gives us hope in this kind of a scene. The righteous Messiah. So, Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to read the first three verses. You follow along in your Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you in the pew. Right in the middle of your Bible there. Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Here we go. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Notice the Lord there is Jehovah, Yahweh. It's all, it's all capitals there, Lord. Against, the, against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So, In these first three verses, we have point number one, the rebellion of the nations. Or, if you want to say it, the raging of the nations. And we're going to look at their status, letter A, and then their target, letter B, and then their motive, letter C. Letter A, their status. It's King David's understanding from back in those times. This is his perspective. 
it, it's, it was true of the surrounding nations back then. The king of Ammon, the king of Moab, the king of the Edomites, uh, the raging going on. Their status is of one that's plotting or devising how to be really free from this nation called Israel and their, their rules and their God and all that goes with it. They're saying, let's just wipe them out. That's what was going on back then. And that trait is continued on through all history. It's true of, if you're a, a good student of history, that's, it's what's true of most kings and rulers that have ruled. Where kings and rulers really follow the example of what we find in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 and on, about King Nebuchadnezzar. He stood on the roof of his palace. You can just see him. Long flowing robes. Maybe a chalice of wine in his hand or something. Strutting about. And he looks about saying, Oh my goodness, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Now, that was said in a strong, obvious way. But then there's other rulers and kings who may do it more in a soft way they they do it in their in their way they're suggesting it maybe they're not so bold in it and most of you know the rest of the story with king nebuchadnezzar that mo, you know not much longer you know he was you know, set to the field his hair grew and his claw you know his his fingernails grew into claws and all this he became a beast god's judgment on him so the nations, this is the typical thing of the, the nations in general being in an uproar. We say, but, but let's say there's been some time of peace in our world, that there's not been that many wars going on in our world. When was that? <laughs> when was the last time the world knew real peace? And even if there's little skirmishes amongst tribes people, there's still struggle and wars going on. So whether this counsel or this example from King Nebuchadnezzar, whether that's strongly declared or softly suggested, God knows and God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a rule in God's kingdom. He is opposed to the proud. Kings, rulers, nations, he's opposed. But he gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you this. As we just mentioned with King Nebuchadnezzar, declaring out loud of his kingdom, what is it that goes on in your heart and my heart? What is it that we declare? What are we coming back to? What do we say to ourselves? What goes on in your mind? Does it keep coming back to, oh my goodness, I've got to humble myself before God. This is not just a one-time thing that you do, Christian. This is an ongoing thing that you do. You humble yourself before God. Here's a brand new day. A great way to start is humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. How do you do that? Do you... Uh, Crawl on your hands and knees through the city of Fallon? 
and by the way, there's other cities in the world that have people do that to gain favor with God. You just need to do some of this kind of thing in your life and you'll get right with God by crawling on your hands and knees. I saw it back in Guadalajara, Mexico. A sad thing. But if you're truly God's, God's child, the best thing you can do is do the work of humbling yourself before God. Humble yourself before His almighty hand. So what... Just ask yourself that here. What is it that gets over and over declared in your mind, in your heart? Is it about your kingdom? Is it about your agenda? Is it like King Nebuchadnezzar? So, that was their status. Letter B, their target. Their target. Look at verse 2. The kings of the earth take their stand. They're set. They take their stand. The rulers take counsel together. They're encouraging one another about it against the Lord and His anointed. That's a very important addition in our, in our statement there because in our world today, anyone can like kind of talk about God and kind of, you know, everyone goes, oh yeah, that's right. But when they talk about God and His anointed one, who's that? That's the Messiah. Who's that? That's the Christ. Who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're in a different ballpark. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Can't have any of that. We don't want any of that. Just talk about God. General. And then I can put any definition I want to, to God. You follow that? And so here is this issue. Their target is really... The Lord and His anointed one, meaning the king, that's what an anointed one was, is the king. And David knows, David is written written this, David knows he's the one that's put this forth, saying this is the way it is for me now. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture coming. And it's not just about David. It's coming with the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. And he's going to save his people from their sins. Okay, so the the Messiah, he's coming. So it's specified in verse 2. It's against Yahweh, his anointed, and his anointed one. Okay? And so the hate is directed, and it is. It's hate, it's anger, directed at what Israel as a nation stood for. Okay? as And it was... Israel stood as a testimony to all the nations around them. They're supposed to be a light to a dark world as a nation. Okay? And that there's one true God to be worshipped. What were the other nations judged for? Their polytheism. Their, you know, all sorts of different things that they concocted. That they drew up. Okay? So, and listen, it's what the United States of America was founded upon. The United States of America was founded upon, here's the, the law of God. And those three divisions, right? Legislature, executive, and judicial. Those three branches, that rose up from a study of the Word of God. 
Not some, some guys just reaching for something. It came from a study of the Word of God that we have that. Okay? And so, coming up from, here's, here's God's nation, Israel. And here's this, the law of God that really was peculiar. Is that a good word to say? Why? Because all the nations thought, ah, that's ridiculous. The other nations, you know, hey, just, you want to just do your own thing. So, there's all sorts of things behind this. Even, I'm thinking of when Israel wanted their own king. Why? To be like the other nations. Who is their king? Yahweh, Jehovah. He was their king. They rejected him and they wanted a king to be like the other nations. Interesting. So, there's their target. Then their motive. The motive, you look at verse 3, where it says, let us do what? Tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Who's that talking? Who's talking? It's the nation saying those kind of things and it's talking about the fetters or the cords that hold, listen, that hold Israel together. There's a law that Israel has that holds them together, that points them in the direction to worship God. Could they keep the law? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. They could not keep the law. But the law pointed them to a holy, righteous God. Okay? So, the nations, it's like the nations are talking right here in verses 1 through 3. And they're saying, we want to be free from that. We want to be free from their bonds. We don't want to have that kind of God ruling over us. We want to burst their bonds. We want to be able to do a man-centered kind of thing. We don't want these laws of God over us. And what it results in is it's showing a resentment of God's authority. Now, here again, let's, let's go to your own heart, your own thoughts. Evaluate it. Ask yourselves, is there any way that I'm showing that I resent God's authority? And if you stop and, and let it sink in and let God's Spirit work, I think there's ways in all of us that we show that we resent God's authority. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all rebels. We're all once enemies of God. And so we face that truth. God help me. Again, humble myself before your mighty hand. And remember, this um, rebellion of the nations is all driven by Satan, the author of rebellion, who first rebelled against God and against all of heaven. And in line with this, all people have really followed in suit. They've followed in the tracks. It was through Adam and Eve's sin that the whole human race was plunged into sin and thus into divine judgment of God. And that judgment was taken, listen, that judgment was taken by Jesus. He took your judgment. That's amazing. That is about God's grace. So that's point number one, the rebellion of the nations. Point number two is the response of, the, of God Almighty. Verses four through six. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak 
to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So here's the response of God Almighty to the the uproar and the rebellion of the nations. His response is, number one, his displeasure. His displeasure. There, listen, there is no lightness here with God. Like he's, ah, <laughs> you silly little creatures. He's not laughing in a light-mannered way. This is very serious. But it shows that it, they're scoffing at the rebellion of these nations. Okay? It's more about God showing the folly of these nations in their rebellion. If you have the English Standard Version, it says, the Lord holds them in disdain. Okay? And then, it says, He speaks to them in His wrath. I find that interesting, because God has always, you know, here He is, He's always communicating. He's always communicated. And in this instance, He speaks. He speaks to them, what? In His wrath. So, right now, at this point, Here's what we have to do, folks. Right now, what we have to do is rally around one thing. When it says He speaks to them in His wrath, what that's about is if we are truly, uh, if we're to truly understand and know what we can of God, we have to understand what sets Him apart as God. And the problem we've always had in all of mankind's history is we drag down God to our image. We make God into our image. But what we have to do in a, in, with a text like this is we have to say, wait, whoa, whoa, what sets God apart is God. Why is He speaking to them in His wrath? Holiness. Holiness. God is a perfectly holy God. So we need to try to grow in our understanding of holiness. He is perfectly holy. Thus, He will glory in His Holy Son. That's what eternity is going to be about. That all of heaven, for all of eternity, will glory in the Son, Jesus. And He will, listen, He will gloriously deal with sin. And that will be glory to His name. When He judges the nations... In the end times, He will judge the nations. And that will be glory to His name because He's setting Himself apart. He's not condescending upon it like, oh, let's, let's negotiate this. He's not doing that. He will judge the nations and He will do it to His glory. So that's His displeasure. The response of God Almighty to the nations and their rebellion, His displeasure, and then... Before we move to the second point, we need to take that personally also. I need to draw that to myself as an individual. I want to, it's, it's so easy for me to just go into the rut. You know, you get on the, um, on those sidewalks at the airport that just move and they're going. And it's like so easy for me to just hop on those and hold on. And I, it's like I'm, I'm in my little rut of spiritual apathy, of spiritual 
uh, warpness. And so, Christian brother, Christian sister, it's very important that each of us say, God, show me my heart, show me more, because I can so easily be deceived. I can so easily get blinded, you know, even with knowing the truth. I can easily get deceived and swayed. And I want to walk with Jesus. I want to do that in a way, not out of religiosity, not out of my family tradition. I want to do that out of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So, be alert to that. So, that's his displeasure in verse 4. Then, the next section is his disclosure. His disclosure is what he says in verse 6. Look at verse 6. But, as for me, this is God talking, God the Father talking, but as for me, I have set my king. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Again, we're doing a, a kind of a double track feature here in this message. It's, it, yes, it's about King David. But it's also about Jesus, the Messiah. So we have to keep that in mind as we're trying to understand this psalm. Okay? I think primarily it is more so about Jesus, the Messiah, than about King David and his reign. Because King David wasn't perfect. <laughs> right? So here's the disclosure. What, here's what was spoken and here's what will stand because it's God's word and it will stand for eternity. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, Jerusalem, my holy hill. So that's the Father's declaration to all the earth. That's his declaration. And again, amidst our political backdrop, that continues to be his statement. Now, as we move along in this, I want to say this because it can slip into our minds, and it's this. Sometimes we'll even um, get the thought that God must be kind of fretting. God, maybe God's kind of sweating it up there about all the hubbub of the nations and the political mess. Um, God's, you know, worried or something. No. Never, ever, ever is God worried or fretting over anything. Never, ever will God fret over the, the political mess or the political scene or the world scene or the world mess. Never, ever will He fret over it. He's God. He allows it to go on for a time until it is enough. Until He says it's enough and it's time for judgment to fall. And fall it will. Everyone kind of figured, oh, well, you know, we're going to give up hope on this Messiah thing. And then all of a sudden, here's these wise men that come trotting in from a far distant land. And they're looking for a, the, the one that's born king of the Jews. And all of a sudden, there's a little hubbub and the news reporters are out late at night trying to get the latest. What, 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 what's the, what are these guys here for? What's that star in the south, the southeastern sky? What, what's that about? And, you know, looking over, it, it looks like it's towards Bethlehem. 
You see, at the time when man isn't really expecting it, here comes God. Here comes God. So, we have the rebellion of the nations, the response of God Almighty. And number three is the reign of God's anointed one. The reign of God's anointed one. And now it shifts, as it were, to the anointed one speaking. Speaking, and he tells of the decree, the divine decree. Look at verse 7 now through 9. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, right? So now it's the anointed one saying, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware or a potter's vessel. So, verse 7 is is like here. Here's the divine decree. It's going to happen. It's the divine order from heaven. It's going to be. Just count on it. In this verse 7, if you have a, a, like a study Bible with reference notes, look at the verses that are there in regards to um, when he said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's been repeated many times in the New Testament. Reaffirming, here's the Messiah. Now, stated in this way, so we can understand the first Stay with me here. The first and second person of the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son. It's expressed as a father-son relation. But we, we in our Western mindset, we kind of go, whoa. Well, it's not, he's, the Son then isn't quite God. But the Eastern mindset says, oh, no, no. Turn and look at John chapter 5 right now. Hold your marker in Psalm chapter 2 and look at John chapter 5. And we'll see the Eastern mindset here about this issue. Jesus had just healed this guy on the Sabbath. And oh boy, was he in trouble now from the religious officials, right? And, you know, what's this guy doing hauling around his mat on the Sabbath? Stop that! He's like, wait a minute. Do you know what just happened to this guy? He got healed. Oh, no, he's working. He's working on the Sabbath. (laughs) These guys had it mixed up. Okay, so, verse 17. John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. And I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling his own father, or God, he was calling God his own father, making himself, what? Equal with God. See, we got people that we know here in our community that put a distinction. Well, Jesus is, is just the Son. And God, He's the one. Don't let Him get away with that. Turn and say, well, let's look at the Bible. 
let's see what the Bible says. And in fact, John chapter 5 says, here's this issue. And, and so you, you go and point that out to them. And it's, it was an effort to help us understand, here's this relationship. God the Father, God the Son. It's not one of a step down for the Son. It's one of equality. Okay? And now, also, this statement in verse 7, in, in Psalm 2, let's go back to Psalm 2 now. In this statement of verse 7, you are my Son, today I have begotten you, was also mentioned in a, in a form um, at his baptism. At, well, back up, even in the incarnation of his coming, uh, at his baptism, mentioned specifically in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 5, but also brought forth in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Again, keep your marker in Psalm 2 and go to Romans 1, verse 4. Please turn to Romans 1. Actually, let's just start in verse 1 where it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Was Jesus always the Son of God? Or did He become the Son of God at His death and resurrection? He was always the Son of God. So at, the, at His death and resurrection, it was done, sealed, proven. There it is. It's there. Now, it's now in your lap let the Word of God be the judge and you have to respond. So it's about the reign of God's anointed. Letter A, I, I'm sorry, it's His inauguration. It's His inauguration. So, by divine decree. Then letter B, it's about His inheritance. Letter B, back in, ver in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. So again, this is God the Father speaking to the anointed one. Here's your inheritance. You, you ask of me, and it's all yours. To the ends of the earth, all nations, they will bow. All will be His, and all will be under His rule. He is Lord of all. If he's not Lord of all, what? He's Lord of none. Nothing. So this is, again, here's the future. We're looking off into the future. The, here's what God's plan will be. And then, to finish number three off, letter C is about his impact or his influence. Look at verse 9 in Psalm 2. Look at the influence or the impact that he's going to have. Very impressive. You shall break them. Who's them? Those nations. You will break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. You know how easy it is to just break a, an old potter's vessel. Just kind of 
strike it and boom, it's in pieces. Well, that's, that's the picture of the nations in God's judgment, in the, with the Messiah's coming judgment. Okay? Here again is the display of God's strength and power over the nations to put down, to punish, to crush all that oppose His reign. He does it in His way. He will do it in His timing. He will do it for His glory. Revelation 19, 15, and 16, when He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, He's riding in on a white horse signifying what? His victory. He... He came first as a little baby. Here's the Lord and Savior of the world in mercy. Second time He comes, He comes again in judgment. He will pour out wrath against the nations. So this calls each and every one of us, whether we are a ruler or a common person, to deal with the consequences of our sin and our rebellion. Flee to find help. This is, how, this is the only thing... The only response you, you really have now is if you have not yet fled for refuge from the coming wrath, now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. Flee to God for wrath. Um, from from uh, wrath to His refuge. Yeah, that's a... Watch out for that. <laughs> Examine everything clearly here, yes. It leads us to point number four. Point number four is the refuge of God's grace. The refuge of God's grace. Would you follow along, please, in verse 10 as we finish off this psalm? Verse 10, look at it. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Or be wise. Take warning, O rulers or judges of the earth. So it's, here's this initial say, okay, be wise, take warning, watch out. And then it says in verse 11, serve the Lord or worship the Lord with reverence or fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Or do homage, pay homage to the Son, that He not become angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So that's what point number four is there for. The refuge of God's grace. God in His wonderful loving way has provided. Many of you know that. Many of you have responded already to run and flee to the refuge of Jesus Christ. Letter A, it comes down to this. Respect God's sovereign rule. That's the first two verses there. Respect God's sovereign rule. Is God still on His throne? Respect His rule. Recognize it. You're called first to be wise. You're called to be, that you're warned. And you will do well to respond in respect in a reverential way. Not with mere lip service. We're so good at mere lip service. It's got to be life service. And in the rejoicing mode, it says, and rejoice with trembling. How does that get in there? Rejoice with trembling. Why? Listen, if it's 
Listen, if it's the refuge of God's grace, then we never deserved what God gave us. You never deserved it. So rejoice. Rejoice in in trembling. And then 4B, letter B, is verse 12. Here's the, the things to fill in. Rest in God's sovereign grace. Rest in God's sovereign grace. You pay homage with life service. Kiss the son. And that's a picture of kissing his hand as royalty. Bowing in submission. Bowing in reverence. Bowing in thankfulness. Listen, time is growing short. Not only with our message, but with the fact that your life in this time, time is growing short. In His time, God, through His blessed Son, will unleash His wrath. It will come upon Satan and sin and all forms of rebellion. His wrath will be kindled quickly. And then at the very bottom of your outline, you see that little line. It's a quote from Derek Kidner from his commentary in Psalms. I I wanted to add this in. I think it's very important. It's because there is no refuge from the Son. There is no refuge from the Son when He comes. Because there is no refuge from the Son, you must take refuge in the Son. Now, we come to our closing time, and I know most of you have already run for refuge to Jesus Christ. But if there's just one person here this morning who has not made that, you've made a a commitment to stepping into the refuge that is Jesus Christ, then you are still outside of that refuge. You are unprotected. You will be unprotected from the wrath of God to come. Now let's say it might be that we're all still alive at that point here on this earth, which I don't know, but let's just say it. Those of you that have come for refuge to Jesus Christ, you'll be protected from God's wrath against mankind. You will be protected of that. Why? Because you came to church on a good, solid basis. That's why, right? What? It wasn't that? It's because we all got involved in Operation Christmas Child, right? Nope. It's only for one reason that you are protected, and that is Jesus Christ, His shed blood on your behalf, That protects you from the wrath of God against what? Sin. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. And you rejoice with trembling if you've received it. Right? So, listen. If you're one of those people that you're not going to be protected from the wrath to come, there's still time. That's what I said earlier. Today is the day of salvation. There's time for you to come. You come by faith, not by works. You come by faith, believing what Jesus Christ did. And you come and take refuge in the person of Jesus Christ. 
in God's provision of shelter. And what that means is you believe. You believe in Jesus Christ, what He did, what He did for you to save you. He gave you, listen, He gave you what you could never deserve. What you could never earn. He gave that. And He saves you from what you can never escape from. God's wrath. He saves you from that. What are you waiting for if you know that He's prompting you? Come to faith in Christ now. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge your sin and call out to Him and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will know of being in God's family. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now, again, most of you, you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. But are you still living in such a way to try and earn that favor? Earn it? Keep walking up the ladder? Or are you walking in His refuge of grace? We need to walk in that refuge of grace and glory in that grace. Why? Because it's a it's a story of grace. Remember we said it last week? We, we always think that religion is about what I do for God. And so get into religion, man. It's really good. <laughs> Once you and I start emphasizing God's grace, now we're talking a foreign language. And we need to talk that foreign language to people so that they can hear about God's grace. And by God's Spirit, He will... He will break through, God's Spirit will break through and open their eyes to the amazing grace of God. So, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. We've got a, another couple of weeks of stuff to deal with in mailers and calls and commercials and all that jazz. With each one, will you just respond by, hey, you know what? God's still on His throne. God is still, a, he's, he's a sovereign king. And Jesus is coming back again. He's going to rule over all. So, God help us with this. I'd like to read uh, a passage. Please stand with me in closing. This passage is... Um, designed to encourage us in our way. It's the passage in Titus chapter 3. I'm reading it from the living letters. So hang on to your hat. Titus chapter 3. Remind your people to obey the government and its officers and to always be obedient and ready for any honest work They must not speak evil of anyone, nor quarrel, but be gentle and truly courteous to all. Once we were foolish and disobedient ourselves, we were misled by others and slaves to many evil pleasures and wicked desires. Our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But... When the time came for the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, to appear, then He saved us. Hallelujah.
not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of His kindness and pity by washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us with wonderful, wonderful fullness and all because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did in order that He could declare us good in God's eyes, but only because of His kindness. And now we can share in the wealth of eternal life that He gives us. And we are eagerly looking forward to receiving it. Amen? Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And in the meantime, God help us to walk in His grace and to live for Him. Amen? Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful day. You're dismissed.